This month's Where Did the Road Go is brought to you by three amazing people. Super Inframan, Allison Cook, and 36 Dingo. If you want to become a patron or a sponsor, go to wheredidtheroadgo.com. And now our show. Transmission start. Welcome to Where Did the Road Go? Join us as we wander off the path and explore lost history, consciousness, the paranormal, unexplained mysteries, alternative thought, and much more. We are present on the web at wheredidtheroadgo.com. Now here is your host, Soraya. So welcome to this edition of Where Did the Road Go? And uh, we're kind of continuing from last week. I have with me Super Inframan. Hello. hello. And Ren Collier. Hey, everyone. And uh, I really wanted to talk about some of this stuff last week, but we didn't really have enough time. Uh, and this is like, I, I want to talk about dreams, sleep, comas, altered states of consciousness, stuff like that. And there were a couple of things in particular that I wanted to bring up. Um, one of them was, I, I think I told you guys the quote last week. Um, oh, that's not where it was. I want to make sure I get it right here. About how you remember your, you don't always remember your dreams. And when you dream, you don't remember real life. Yes, that was awesome. And I, and I, like that was just such a striking quote. I'm like, huh, that is totally true. I can't <laughs> find it now. Oh, you forget about dreams when you enter reality, but you also forget about reality when you enter dreams. That's also implying that dreams aren't reality. Right, right. <laughs> or at but, least a different reality. Yeah. Um, but that's also, you know, like when people have near-death experiences and it's like, well, not everyone has them. Well, not everyone remembers them. Right. You know, it doesn't yeah. mean they're not having them in a completely altered state that they just can't remember or access when they come back. Or they do remember it and don't want to tell anyone. Also true. That's a good point. I, I've actually kind of wondered that a lot, Rand. I, I wonder if it's something that people just aren't, a lot of people aren't prepared to process. Yeah. So it's just easier not to think about. I mean, I was just thinking about this earlier because I was talking to my dad last night um, about dreams, not even because of the show. We were just talking about it. So. Um, you know, like I've said before, me and my little brother, since we were little kids, have had pretty frequent, spontaneous out-of-body experiences, like at night. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have a certain way of looking at these things, flavored from, you know, the works of Robert Monroe and the, you know, sort of history of astral projection and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I always wondered, like, did my dad have these same experiences too? Mm -hmm. And because I know he's had sleep paralysis. Um, and then last night, he just, we were just talking about dreaming and stuff. Um, because uh, I recently found out that uh, kicking and like sort of thrashing and acting out your dreams can be an early warning sign of uh, Parkinson's. Really? Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, which I didn't know, <laughs> and that's something I do. So I'm like going to sign up for a sleep study just to make you know determine if that's the case with me. Um, but I was you know talking to him about that, about dreams and vividness and stuff, and he said that when he was younger, he used to have all kinds of dreams, uh, like flying dreams, where he would be flying. And they would be like at night above his, you know, neighborhood and stuff. And to him, you know, he that that's just a dream. That's the right. way he processes that and approaches that. Uh, but when I hear him say something like that, I think you were probably having the same kind of experience as I have, where I fly around my house and my neighborhood and stuff. You know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. People just uh, experience these. You know, they they have different ways of classifying these things. It's it's so hard to talk about too, because so much of it is not like concrete. So much of it is is sort of tenuous and, and difficult to explain to people if they've never experienced it. 
um, that it, it causes a lot of confusion in the discourse around it. Yeah. And, and a lot, and our culture kind of dismisses dreams, you know, dreams aren't important, so we're not going to worry about that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when you go, Oh, I had this really deep, important dream. People are like, dreams aren't important. <laughs> yeah. I, I do want to say we've, we've commented numerous times, especially me, because I, I like picking on him about it. Uh, Josh said at one point that he doesn't care about people's dreams. And he said, yeah. since he wrote his latest book, which I'm forgetting the name of at the moment, the, the two-volume, uh, the, the Ecology of Souls, yes. So uh, Josh had commented on the last, uh, or it was the show I did with Tim Renner, and he yeah. said that he has changed his opinion on dreams after writing Ecology of Souls, and he now feels that dreams are, or at least big dreams, are potentially important, and he's interested in those. Right. Yeah, he better be. I don't know how he'd write that book and not come away with that. I know, right? That way of thinking, but yeah. I mean, I'm just interested in people's dreams in general. I mean, funny dreams, weird dreams, whatever. I like hearing about people's dreams. Yeah, I mean, you know, you you and John both know how often people have precognitive dreams and and don't either don't remember their dreams, so they have no way of knowing that they've had precognition. Or they ignore it because the precognition isn't always clear. You know, it isn't always yeah. exactly one to one with what happens in real life. Right, right. Like as an example uh, for the listeners, I had a precognitive dream once that I was in a um, some place that was like a shopping mall, but it was also a theme park, and there was this like roller coaster that was like inside of it. And I remember like it being feeling like it was really close to my head, and these like, people were whooshing by on this roller coaster. And um, this was not long after I had moved to Minneapolis and before I had ever went to the Mall of America or knew anything about the Mall of America. Uh, The very next day, I go to the Mall of America um, because my girlfriend needed to go there, like get a magazine or something from a particular shop. And sure enough, there's like a roller coaster in in the Mall of America. It's like a water slide or something. There's like some kind of like little theme park kind of thing inside of it. That's cool. Um, It didn't look like it did in my dream, but the dream had the, the the gestalt of it you know it had like the mm. idea behind it right yeah <clears throat> it's like watching the mothman prophecies movie it's not the book but yet it has the same vibe as the book right yeah and sometimes you get information in those precognitive dreams it's not like you see the situation that you're having a precog about play out but right. you're given information either by i don't know entities your own subconscious like whatever you want to think uh like my my girlfriend uh, she has a lot of these and she had one, you know, she of course doesn't really think much, you know, much of it. She's just like, whatever, it's just a coincidence. But she had a dream <laughs> that her mom called her and told her that her uh, cousin had come out and that she was like seeing a woman. And like a couple days later, she finds out that her cousin has come out and is like currently in a relationship with a woman. Um, you know, the way she'd found out about it wasn't the same as in the dream, right? In the dream right. You know, mom told her over the phone, but she still had that information like days before it was like public knowledge, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, even like the, the handful of times that I've had like very, uh, uh, apparent sort of like psychic experiences of something that was about to happen. It's kind of similar to that too, Ren. And mm-hmm. I know I'm taking this out of dreams, but just the way this information gets conveyed, um, I had a rope swing uh, where I grew up, you know, right across uh, from our house was a little tree house that had a, a swing on it or, or just a long rope that I'd swing on every day and around it out and about. And one day I was swinging on it and I kept thinking, like, kept getting this weird image in my head that the limb was going to break and fall on me. Hmm. Um, 
And this is a giant old oak tree. So I'm looking at it, I'm like, it's not going to break. But I keep getting that image. Mm-hmm. So I swing out and around. The limb doesn't fall. The rope breaks around the limb. <laughs> uh. Yes. And I landed on the roots, cracked my ribs on one side. Ooh. I laid out there for like an hour before anybody found me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when you're nine, ten years old, like when something like that happens, you think you're going to die. Right. Uh, yeah. You can't catch yeah. your breath and you can't get up. You know, I thought I'd broken my neck or something, you know, because I'm, I'm 10. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I I even remember being in the car with my mom going to the emergency room going, well, I knew it was going to fall. And she goes, <laughs> well, why did you keep swinging on it then? And I was like, because I thought the limb was going to break. But obviously the limb was <laughs> <you know? laughs> Trying to explain it to her. <laughs> she has a point. I mean, the end result would have, would have been the same. Yeah, yeah. Like, either way, <laughs> I should have stopped swinging on it if I paid attention. Well, the end result could have been worse if the limb broke, because the limb could have come down and landed on you, too. Oh, that's, that's true. true. That's true. Uh, that would have been, yeah. That might have actually killed me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it, it's almost like you you had the impression that, like, you were going to have an injury of some sort. Like, something bad was going to happen. Now, the details yeah. may have been not completely right, but the, the, you know, the impression was there. Right, exactly. We don't exactly. seem to get, we're not tuned into that stuff very well, and I think that's the problem. It's not that the information is bad, is that we don't really perceive it directly. Right, right. Um. You know, sir, so I've, I've been going through uh, some of your notes that you shared with me, and you've got some stuff in there like that. Oh, yeah. Where, um, I'm trying to think of a specific one, but I, I know I've read some in the last couple of days where, uh, oh, even like Taurus. Yes. The yeah. Taurus symbol. Yeah. When I didn't even know what the Taurus symbol was. Yeah, but you dreamed it, and then, yeah, yeah it was way before you were into astrology. I was never the into Taurus astrology. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Taurus <laughs> as in the, the Zodiac or yeah, Taurus yeah. as in T-O-R-U-S, like the mathematical thing? The the, the uh, astrology. Okay, okay. Yeah, I saw, I saw an image of the, the Taurus symbol slid out like it was made. It was like someone wrote it in sand, but then slid the sand under this door. And it stood out to me. And it was that uh, that May 15th when, I, when the whole Soraya thing happened, uh, which was uh, in Taurus. Nice. How cool is that? Yeah, there's lots of little ones in there like that. Yeah, yeah. Do you have any? Do you have any plants in Taurus in your birth chart? I don't know. You, you, and some other people did my chart, but I don't remember. Huh. It's a long time ago. I think I mentioned that in the book too. I put that info in there too, or yeah. at least you di- you did it on Soraya anyway, which came oh, up with with some interesting stuff. You got yeah. that far, didn't you? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I'm making way. I've been reading just a little bit every night. I need to kind of, I think with some of the weather coming up, I'll have time to like <laughs> read some bigger chunks of it. But I've been trying to be very diligent of like getting through a few days at a time when I, I read every night. The, 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 uh, and, and you're talking about my autobiography, which is slowly coming together. So I'm, yes, letting, I'm yes. letting a few select people read it to get an idea of, of like, you know, if I should keep it the way it is, you know, change anything like, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, and, and I, I referred to it as notes earlier because I didn't know how much people on the main show were aware of it. So, uh, so I've been enjoying it so it, far. It will exist as a book sometime, hopefully yeah. in twenty twenty three. Awesome. Hey, jumping back real quick before uh, uh, my computer froze on me. You know, we were talking about uh, uh, people that have near death experiences and uh, getting a little bit into like 
uh, you know, Randy even mentioned the Parkinson's and some things like that. But, uh, you know, and, and I've talked to you both about this on offline and a little bit of, on the Patreon. Uh, you know, I did my ketamine therapy just a couple months ago. Right. And uh, I had seen some people try and insinuate that near-death experiences were a result of when ken- uh, ketamine or the anesthesia oh, yeah, was yeah. being used. And I didn't get that. No, it doesn't work. No, it doesn't. Um, I mean, I, I had some cool experiences, and as is irrelevant to us going further in this discussion, I'll, I'll bring it up. But, um, you know, there there was not the – I never had something that made me think, oh, this fits the iconography of uh, NDE. But, and, 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 uh, and more <laughs> than more than that, it wasn't just people who were injected with ketamine. They were trying to say – Oh, ketamine resembles near-death experiences, so that explains all near-death experiences. And it's like exactly. And the argument and against it was like, well, there's no reason ketamine would be in a person's system unless it was injected. So no, it doesn't. Right? Like you've had a car wreck and you're on the side of the road, <laughs> you know, and you have a near-death experience. Like you probably didn't have ketamine injected into you. Yet. Yeah, exactly. You know. Uh, yeah, so that that was something that it was, I don't know, uh, after I've had that experience and even going into it, like I, I kind of took some of those ideas in the back of my head to sort of test, for lack of a better word, or think about. And uh, obviously, it's something we should go ahead and disregard, but it was one of those where I'm like, no, I don't even see why we would compare this to a near-death experience. It's a, it's a different thing. Yeah. Well, they're just trying to dismiss the near-death experience. That's all. Exactly. Exactly. You know, now now they're now they're using DMT to do it, saying, Oh, well, rats seem to have a rush of DMT on upon death. They've never seen it in humans. So they yeah. don't know if that actually happens, nor if that would create the the DM you know, if DMT would create the near death experience. And it doesn't explain the out of body part. Yeah. You know, and so to add to that, um and you know, talking about family lines too, my mom had a near death experience when she got hit by a car. Oh, yeah. But it was a very basic one uh, back in the 70s, you know, got hit by a drunk driver. She was walking on the side of the road with uh, my brother. My brother was fine. Um, but, um, you know, she she still has issues from back then. I mean, it, it hurt her leg really badly, ah. uh, among other things. But uh, and she was in the hospital for almost a year from it. Oh, wow. But yeah, it, it was a bad deal. But I don't think she ever was in that situation of flatlining or anything like that. But, you know, obviously she did go into uh, emergency surgery to like stabilize her. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to my knowledge, you know, it was never a situation that would cause that DMT rush. But, you know, this is my anecdotal yeah. reference on that. Well, and. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I mean, the research done on near-death experiences was a heart doctor who didn't believe in them, thought Not they were just good. hallucinations, and he so he gave everyone he did uh, any work on a questionnaire mm-hmm. with the same questions, whether they reported a near-death experience or not. And yeah. he found that, A, the people who said they had near-death experiences could describe what was going on in the room from the out-of-body yes. state with like 100% accuracy. Yes. Whereas the people who did not have near-death experiences, they were told, you know, whether you whether you think you know what happened or not, tell us what you think happened. And ah. the, peop- the people who didn't have near-death experiences weren't even remotely close to what right, happened right. in the room. But he also found that some people died and didn't have near-death experiences, and some people had near-death experiences who didn't die. Die, uh, okay. 
So there you go. And that, uh, the DMT rush, if that's associated with death. Right. Um, but yeah, it, and you know, my mom, uh, you know, very classic in the sense of like, could tell what the doctors were doing. Remember what time the clock said, um, went down the tunnel, you know, there was a glowing figure that told her it wasn't her time yet to go back. Mm. But you know, she could tell you what the emergency room looked like and what they were doing at the time on her leg and on her side and that sort of thing. Right. Right. Um, and she talks about it more these days than she did when I was young. But, um, you know, it, there's not a whole lot of detail to it beyond that. It seems very, you know, just yeah. the basics of it. Yeah. Well, you know, that's one of the things that got me into reading more Seth is I had looked at the chapter on death that in the, in Seth Speaks, and he's talking about how some people leave their body before they're dead. Other people mm. stay with their body after they're dead. And I'm just going, so this is literally what we're finding with near-death experiences. Like, and this yeah. is, this is, you know, decades before this research was done. Yeah. So, uh, when we get further in and, and talk about the story of the woman in the coma, um, I had read the book where the guy, uh, had the meningitis in his spine. That was the doctor that became very religious because he had like kind of continuing near death experiences while he was under. Mm. It's been a long time since I've read it, but, uh, it, it sounds like the Seth stuff in a lot of ways, but he also sort of had this like continuing ability to like move around in a, uh, sort of in between place. Oh, okay. Yeah. And he, you know, talked to what he called God, but it was, a uh, he called it Ohm because it was like a vibration. Very interesting. Hmm. Well, we, we can deal with the coma stuff now. This, this came up and, uh, I know Ren, you have a big contribution to this whole thing. Um, let me pull up the article here. It was just one of these like Buzzfeed articles or something about, People who had been in comas, people, it's from Ranker. That's what it is. So it's people who have been in comas describe what it's like, what the experience was like. And uh, let's see, let's go to the web view so it actually shows it to me. Okay, so one one guy said he could wake up, but he had no control over his body, which has got has to be awful. You know, he said I was in a medically yeah. induced coma. Um, full body paralysis for six weeks. There were a handful of times I distinctly remember where I woke up in my head and what was that experience like? It sucked. Uh, when yeah. I would wake, when I would wake up in my head, I had no idea what, what happened. So I'm fully conscious. I know that I'm me, but I can't open my eyes. I can't move a muscle and I can't speak. The first time it happened, it was terrifying. I started to panic for a minute there. I thought I might be dead, then realized that I was thinking. So that didn't seem right. I tried to move and couldn't, tried to speak and couldn't, tried to scream and couldn't. I realized at that point that if I didn't calm down, I would go crazy inside my head and no one could help me. Though I was on a ventilator, in my head, I did deep breathing exercises. And at the time, I think that's, that's, uh, think that I thought that I was actually breathing. Uh, I listened to the clicking of the machines and tried to focus on those. Then I started counting the sound of something that seemed repetitive. That gave me enough to focus on until eventually I drifted off again. Wow. <clears throat> that that that's 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 nightmare stuff right there. Yeah. yeah brutal. Hey Rid, do you ever get stuck in like a sleep paralysis state like that? Mm, what do you mean? Well, so uh, every I have a theory about this. Like I, I kind of wonder if it's like that in between place of an out of body experience, but you're back in your body, but you're not all the way back in. Hmm. Um, because like I always kind of connect it to 
where my brain is when like I, I lucid dream, mm. but yeah. I'm aware I'm in my bedroom, but I can't move myself. Um, so it's sort of like, you know, I've ended one program, but I haven't started the other program yet <laughs> or something. I don't know. Yeah. But I was wondering if that was a, a an experience that you've had with this as much out of body experiences as you have had. Huh. I don't know if I've had one exactly like that. Like I, um, you know, I have the sleep paralysis, but typically either that transitions into one of three things happens. Either it transitions into an out of body experience because I'm able to get out of my body, I fall asleep, or uh, I, you know, get up. Like I, 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 you know, physically move enough to, mm-hmm. to like act, break out of it. Um, now, usually immediately after I go out of body mm-hmm. from a paralysis experience, I have what I have only, I don't know. I just, I term it like um, post exit drunkenness or like a post exit hangover. But it's like when I first exit, um, I feel really dizzy. It's like hard to move properly. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I usually like can't see very well. Either yeah. I can't see at all, I'm like blind, or uh, my vision's very blurry and like difficult to see things clearly. And mm-hmm. it takes me a few minutes to like get my bearings and like be able to like um, see properly and move properly. Typically, I try to get away from my body as quickly as possible so that, like, I don't just go back into it. I don't know if that is a thing that actually happens or if it's just a superstition that I have mm. about it. That um, makes sense, though. Yeah, but, like, the first, you know, getting away from my body, it's like I'm stumbling like I'm really drunk. Like, a, you know, yeah. same feeling where it's like, you know, you're just, like, tumbling around. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know if I've ever felt like I've been stuck. I mean, I've had the experience of like having, you know, in- inception nested dreams or whatever, where yeah. I, I wake up and I start going about my day and then I realize, oh, I'm still dreaming. Yeah. And then I wake up again and then I start going about my day and then I realize, oh, I'm still dreaming. That is right. so like, frustrating. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> And once you do it, once you like have had it nested a couple times, you start really kind of freaking out. And you're like, am I ever going to get out? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know? that, like little edge of panic in here. Yeah. Yeah. So it, the way I kind of like tried to explain it to my wife one time was I was like, I think what I'm doing when I'm stuck like that is I'm not even though I'm trying to move my arm or move my leg, I'm not actually trying to move it. I'm dreaming that I'm trying to move it or I'm trying to move my etheric body. You know, that's where the command is going instead of to my physical body. Right, right. <laughs> and I'm, I'm trapped there. Um, and then, yeah, the God, the, the the nested dreams are horrible. Oh, that ruins my day. Like, I get exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, when I finally do wake up, like, I feel like I've not rested at all because I think that something about it just saps me. You know, like I, maybe it messes up my REM sleep or something. The, the the opposite of that is when I'm having a dream and something bad happens like a car accident and I think I'm dreaming, right? And then I wake up and go, oh, okay, good. Ah. And th- so the other day I dreamed, I was, I was like near this picture window and there were a bunch of people there. I don't remember the rest of the dream, but like there was an explosion in the distance and then another explosion and then another explosion. They started coming toward the picture window. Like the ground was just being thrust up into the air and it was like, and I'm like, oh crap, we're going to die. And then I'm like, wait, this is a dream, right? And I didn't wake up and I, st- and like, and the explosions are getting closer. I'm like, crap, not a dream. And then I woke <laughs> up and I'm like, oh, it was a dream. Okay. <laughs> I have a lot of, um, I don't know. Do you guys ever have recurring anxiety dreams? Like, 
I have dreams of like where I get mugged like pretty at least like maybe every couple of months. Mm. It's the only real mm. nightmare that I really have is that you know I'll be walking you know along a road or like through some like rough looking town and then I'll just get like held up by somebody and sometimes get shot and killed. Wow, I, I, and I, mine the closest I have to that would be. Uh, Occasionally, I'll be dreaming I'm hanging out. It's happened a couple of times where I've dreamed I was hanging out with um, Greg Bishop, and like I go to the bathroom and I come back and he's gone, and oh. I'm and I'm like, oh crap, and you know, because I'm in like L.A. or whatever, and I'm like, ah, uh, where did Greg go? And then I can't find my phone, I can't find my keys, and I'm just like panicking because I'm like, what do I do? I don't know anyone's phone number. I can't even like borrow a phone and call someone. <laughs> so you know. Uh- one, I feel like Greg Bishop could disappear on you uh, <laughs> somehow, not intentionally, but, you know, he just needed to blink somewhere else uh, for a little bit. Uh, you know, so my recurring anxiety dream is kind of silly, but uh, I will be having a normal dream and then suddenly the room will be filled with snakes. Mm. <laughs> and it's yeah. always snakes. Yeah. Um, All right, Indy. Yeah, oh, I, I know. I mean, it, it's exactly like it, the joke in the movies, like snakes. Why does it always have to be snakes? Is like that's exactly my dreams. Uh, whenever I'm stressed out, whatever, like I can almost guarantee you, I will have one of those dreams. And even as much in my waking life as I've uh, made peace with serpentine reptiles, I guess, mm-hmm. um, even being fascinated by them, that never goes away. Yeah, yeah. I've definitely had that one. Like, though, for me, they're always like outside, like I'll walk outside and then I'll look down at the ground and realize that I'm standing amongst like, you know, a a ton of snakes. And I'm like trying to like go around them and like, you know, not not step on any of them. What what ends up happening to me is like, I'll try to avoid a group of them. And then I find myself like on top of another one I didn't know was there. Yeah, (laughs) right, right. A fun part of these, because another one of my recurring anxiety dreams, and this is a fun one because it's sort of like evolved over the years is that I'll have a dream, and I've been having this dream since I was in high school, but basically a dream that you're in a class or something, and you know that you haven't done any of the assignments, and that you have like a paper due like literally that day, and you've missed a bunch of classes, and you're going to fail this like course or fail this class or whatever. And I've had that recurring pretty much my entire life ever since I was in school, and partially, it may be partially due to the fact that, like, I never, like, finished college, right? So right. I've got this, like, lingering thing that, like, I still, like, think about. But the funny thing about it is that as the years have gone by, my dream interpretation of it, like, my dream self has gotten, like, more and more fed up with the situation. <laughs> and so the most recent versions of it, I'm literally in the class and I'm like, I'm like, I, I don't even care about this anymore. Like, I, I don't right. need- this degree like i don't need this i'm not even supposed to be here like i'm i'm a 30 year old man i don't i'm not in high i'm not in high school like i I shouldn't even be here in the first place and then i just like get up and walk out so i've had almost that exact same thing happen um where you know like in the dream i'll run into my mother who's like you got to get to school and i'll be like what no no i don't what and sometimes like i'll i'll be like oh crap i gotta go to school and then i'll think about it and be like no no and i and one of the last times it happened i looked at her and i said i'm a little old to go to high school that's not happening yeah i had i had one recently where i was like in 
elementary school for some reason the same age i am now right for some reason in the dream i had like never graduated from like elementary school or something and i'm like taking this class with like these children and at one at some point i'm just like i have like i have a like a well-paying job and like a house and stuff i don't need this like whatever whatever i think i need out of this I, i don't need it and i just like leave yeah, I think the last time that came up, my, my mom showed up and she's like, you got to go to school. And I'm like, no, I don't. And then it just went <laughs> away. And I was like, oh, well, that worked well. <laughs> so I've had that, but been much less self-aware of who I am. And in my dream, not known that I was older. Mm-hmm. And then I have that moment when I wake up where I'm like, oh, I'm 39. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> And see, I used to not be like self-aware of it in the dream. Um, you, they used to stress me out a lot. You know, I would have like these very vivid dreams of this. Um, but as the years have gone on, you know, I'm 37 now, and it's like I, I just like my dream self just doesn't have any patience for it anymore. It's just like, uh, yeah, no, <laughs> this is ridiculous. <laughs> Get out of here. All right, let's go down some of these other coma experiences. You hear things like someone reading a book or patients screaming. And he said, I'm a burn survivor. I was in an explosion in my backyard when I was seven years old. While I was in the hospital, I was in a medically induced coma to make my chances of surviving higher. I do remember a few things that happened while I was in said coma. I remember my father reading the seventh book of the Magic Treehouse to me. And I remember hearing the screams of new patients that would come in, but I couldn't move my body at all or give any signs that I could hear my family or medical staff. So you're just like locked in. Yeah. Um, That sounds horrific. Yeah, that didn't That's sound like as bad as the first one because at least, at least he sort of seemed to know what was going on to some degree. Yeah, um, this, I, I had a friend once who was who was in a coma for a little while. It, they weren't in it for very long, but um, they were actually like they said that they were having like a dream while they were in the coma, right? Um, and that, but like things that would happen on uh, on the outside would like manifest itself in the dream, like um, when when he would get a shot or something, or they would you know I guess maybe stab it for a new IV or something like that. Like he would um, start like shooting arrows out of his hands or something. Oh, it was like this, like you know, sort of representation in the dream of like the sensation that he was experiencing. Yeah, yeah. And like when people would talk, you know, he would be in this dream and he would hear their voices like as if they were in the sky, like booming down towards him. Oh wow, that would be intense. Yeah. You know, so uh, Taylor had mentioned this in uh, in our Slack where he was talking about like having dynamic dreams when you fall asleep listening to uh, podcasts and things like that. Um, and I want to say one time I fell asleep listening to something about like Garudas or, or something, the uh, Indian sort of like half Birdman creature. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, as I fell asleep, the stories that they were telling were, were kind of very similar to what Taylor was talking about with his experiences where – they're saying, and this person was chased by the Garuda. So, of course, in my brain, I'm going into getting chased by the Garuda. <laughs> you know, oh, it was not cool. <laughs> so I can only imagine, like, you know, they're, you're in a coma. You're having probably something pumped into you, fluids at least, maybe something to, if you're in pain, to make you comfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, to add to that effect, like, that's a lot. <laughs> Well, this this guy says, you might think you've died. Uh, Mm -hmm. I spent eight days in a coma last year after a particularly traumatic surgery. My waking thoughts were wondering if I had died or made it. I couldn't open my eyes, and I was on a medical air mattress, so I felt like I was floating. 
This led me to think that I had died, and I remember thinking it wasn't so bad and wondering if my dad would come find me. Once I realized that I was still alive, I thought I had been injured fighting in a war and worried that my wife may not know that I'm still alive. Trying to communicate with the nurses while intubated and drugged was very difficult. What I learned later from my wife is that she was there the whole time, and while I was fighting against the doctors and nurses, I would immediately calm down and cooperate when she held my hand and sang to me. Oh, wow. That's right. And this this is one of the more interesting ones, and I think you had a story similar to this, Ren, that you had heard. Uh, You could live a life in an alternate reality for 10 years. He says, uh, my dad was in a coma for about two months a couple of years ago. Recently, we were talking about the whole thing, and he told me that he had dreamed, hallucinated, that he lived for 10 years and did all sorts of things during that time. He said it was very vivid, and he walked across across the country a couple times during it. When he woke up or got home, uh, when he woke up, got home, he said that he it would throw him off because he would run into people he hadn't seen since before the coma uh, because he always expected them to have been aged 10 years since the last time he saw them. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, I'd heard a similar story of a lady who, uh, I don't know, she was in a coma. I think she was in a coma, but she had, you know, had this whole other sort of dream life within this coma, had married, had had kids, and was like living a normal life. And then she comes out of the coma, and now she's like trying to psychologically uh, come to terms with like the fact that she like misses her kids from right. this alternate reality that she was in, you know, and right. people tell her, Oh, well, you know, those, those people never existed. And, and my counter to that is like, well, she certainly misses them. So they exist to her. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing. We don't know what's real. I mean, we don't even know what this reality is. I mean, the, uh, Oh, what was it on the, was it on the Sandman series? Well, they, they, in the beginning where it says something like, People think reality is real and dreams are not, but they, they have it backwards or something like that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, there's so. also literally this joke. is It's an entire bit, and I think the opening to an episode of Rick and Morty, where yes, um, I know where you're going. They're playing a game where you just like live a person's life, and the, you know the game ends when that person dies, and then you go back to you know the the, the arcade, and you're like, oh. Wow. Yeah, I was actually going to bring that up, too, if you didn't bring it up. Uh, it's like, it's I a, think uh, Morty comes out. He's like, you know, totally uh, just like it was like it hit him over the head because he didn't realize he was in the game until he got out. <laughs> of the game. Yeah, I mean, he just looked yeah, destroyed. And he like dies an old man, like surrounded by, you know, people that loved him. or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And then like Rick just laughs it off like, oh, yeah, I lived to be 200 one time or, or something like that. <laughs> I think there's uh, there's only been once where I was so lost in a game. I think it was uh uh it's the zombie game Dead Rising, and I'd <clears> gotten so into playing it that I literally forgot where I was. So like something <laughs> something happened in my room, and I was like, "Where am I? Oh oh, oh right, I'm playing a game." <laughs> but I was just nice. so invested in that character that just for a few moments there, I was mm-hmm. that character. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Um, you know, I played, go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, I, I played Jedi Knight online forever, the Dark Forces 2 game. And uh, Joshua Cutchin and I have talked about this a lot because I we probably met playing in clans in that game back in the day. <laughs> uh, but I would have dreams where I was my character, you know, uh, playing the multiplayer levels and running, doing the same stuff that I was doing in the game. And of course, in your dream, it's real. But, you know, I'm basically reliving 
the experiences of, you know, these death matches or capture the flag or whatever else mm-hmm. just with lightsabers and blasters. So I, I that's usually my, stuff. that's usually my key uh, to myself that I'm playing too much of a particular video game or, or video games in general is when I start having dreams about video games. Yeah, that's yeah. usually I'm like, OK, I need to like not play any video games for about a month. <laughs> that that sounds about right. I I still think I have logged more games on or more games, more hours on the Dark Forces games than mm-hmm. anything else I've played. Mm. Um, you know, this was back when you know I, I had like my first you know fifty six k modem, and then got <laughs> Ethernet when I went to college. Yeah, you know, and all my clan buddies, like I had a couple of morning classes, and so I would stay up and play with my friends overseas. Ah. Go to my classes in the morning and then go back to my room and go to sleep and then get up and play all night again. <laughs> I, I occasionally have video game dreams, even when I haven't played video games in a while. Uh, I think <laughs> they've just been part of my life for most of my life. So, I mean, that that's not surprising. And occasionally I just have movie dreams where I'm watching something like a movie unfold. Uh-huh. And then you know, usually I scribble those down for later use. Yeah. Oh, Nice. That's almost like a. There's probably a, a daemon um, connection in there somewhere where if we're physically a daemon for uh, something else, and then we're dreaming about another. <laughs> you know, oh yeah, since that's essentially an arcade character. I, I'm not doing justice to the thought, but I think y'all know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, interesting. I mean, that's the whole thing with all this this coma stuff. That's been like really scary to hear these stories. It makes yeah. me wonder if I need to like have a do not resuscitate order or something on myself because. Like I would rather be dead than be locked in. Yes. These people are driving. Like, honestly, like, cause like dying, isn't that scary to me. Like I've had out of body experiences my entire life. I kind of have a pretty good idea on what it's going to be like to be dead. Yeah. So like the, the idea of dying doesn't necessarily like bother me that much. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the idea of being trapped within my physical body with no way to communicate with anyone around me. Yeah. Like, (laughs) That is uh, that is a prison. That's a nightmare. Yes. Yeah. Did did you guys uh, ever read uh, Johnny Get Your Gun? No. Mm-mm. So it was kind of a, an activist story about. I think it was about uh, Vietnam. It may have been the Korean War. I can't remember. But it was about a man that uh, had been drafted, uh, lost his arms and legs, and all of his face. Uh, so basically. He was alive, but had no ability to communicate or perceive the outside world and, you know, was in a hospital bed with a ventilator on. And so he was trapped in his head. Yeah. And uh, isn't that the, uh, yeah. the, the thing Metallica wrote one about? Yeah, yeah. it is. It is. Yeah. It, it, and I, it's, I'm not sure if it's supposed to be directly based around that novel. I think it I, is. It, um, and it, in the, it's intense and you could go back and, because of the way it's written, you know, there's no doubt that what he's thinking is uh, correct in his head. You know, he's not envisioning himself as something else, uh, like dreaming that he was a soldier, but something else had happened to him. Right. Um, but, you know, it definitely captures that aspect of just being in that, you know, flesh prison, essentially at that point. Right. Right. Um, well, you know, because occasionally, like, he could feel people touch him, and that was about the only way he knew where he was or anything. So th- this guy says you might experience disturbing twists on reality. I was in a coma after a car accident. I only remember one thing. I was walking down the street. I fell to my knees while coughing. I grabbed at my throat and looked down and saw my esophagus on the ground. 
I then fell onto my side. I later learned that that was probably my vent tube coming out of my throat. Oh, interesting. Uh, you take it. Yeah, what's the thing I was talking about with the guy feeling the needles, you know, yeah. sort of manifesting in the dream. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you take in what's being said around you. I was in a coma for five weeks due to uh, something I can't pronounce. I had a lot of dreams, most that I can still remember pretty clearly. You can definitely take in what's being said from around you. I was 12 at the time, 22 now, and my mother was reading Lord of the Rings to me while I was out, and I had some pretty vivid Lord of the Rings-related dreams, like eating ice cubes under a bridge with Bilbo Baggins. When I woke up, it felt like I'd been gone a long time without knowing how long. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what you're talking about, too. Yeah. And then this person. Okay, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, since we're we're kind of talking about the the time difference there, uh, and and Rim was talking about the lady that had her children and things in her coma. Just going back to dreams in general, uh, have both of you had experiences where you've met somebody in your dream that was not real? And woke up the next day and been like, oh, my gosh, like, I really oh. like hanging out with John. And it turns out that's a made up person. Yes. Yeah. You know, I've had that. Know, like, I get wistful about that. I, I've had that with uh, specifically a recent one was about a, a woman in a dream. And like we were in love and mm-hmm. it was when I when I woke up, I felt gutted because I realized like not only was it someone that I'd never seen before, you know, I didn't know in my waking life. I would probably never see them again for the rest of my life. Right. It was almost as if someone had died. Yep. You know? Right. Right. Like that same feeling of like grief. I, yeah. I, I've also had the dreams where I'm interacting with someone I haven't seen in a while. And I'm like, how did I forget about this person? Yeah. And then I wake up and I'm like, I don't know who that person was, you know, but in the dream, I knew exactly who they were. Yeah. I mean, I have one particular person that I still have uh, dreams about that I was in a relationship with many years ago. And I still have dreams about her, even though, you know, I haven't talked to her in God, like eight, nine years. Um, but every time it like screws up my entire day. Right. <laughs> like I just like feel all out of sorts, like the rest of the day. Yeah. I have this one friend that um, I lost touch with when, you know, we graduated high school and he ended up dying in a house fire. Mm. Uh, but it was one of those things that he was far away and he had stopped talking to his parents because they were drug addicts. And so we just weren't in touch. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't know he died until like maybe two years after he'd actually passed away. Mm. And, uh, usually when I dream about people that have passed away, I know they're dead, mm-hmm. but, uh, the handful of times he's popped up in my dreams, he, I don't know that he's passed away. It's just like, oh, hey, Dan, what's going on? You know, and I'm like happy to see him and we catch up, you know, and hopefully I'll see him the next holiday or the next time we're both back in our, our hometown or something like that. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I'm always sort of perplexed by that because, you know, I, I feel like I have a very active dream life or other life with uh, the people I know that are deceased. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I've, I've had one of those recently where I this guy I used to be roommates with years and years ago. Uh, we had you know, lost touch. I hadn't talked to him in like five or six years. And I found out he'd committed suicide. Mm. And that was several years ago. And then uh, I think last year I had a dream about him and in the dream, like I knew it wasn't so much that it was a lucid dream, but I knew that he was dead. Right. Huh. Like, so like, I meet him in the dream and I'm like, Oh man, I haven't seen you in forever. Like, are you doing well? Like we caught up and uh, you know, he was doing well and seemed happy. He was like working at a grocery store. And, uh, 
you know, when I when I walked out of the grocery store in the dream, I just thought like, man, I'm really glad that he's he's doing okay, even though you know he's either in another life or he's passed on or wherever he is now, he seems happier than he was when he was alive. Mm-hmm. And that was, I mean, it was really comforting for me because I had a lot of you know like feelings about his death and being like, if I had still been living in my hometown, maybe I could have like kept him from killing himself, you know. Right, so, right. So that gave me a little bit of closure, me seeing him happy, you know, at least in my dream. Yeah, yeah. So this one, and, and what I like about, one of the reasons I want to get into this is the wide variety of experiences people have. Uh, this person just says, it's like blinking. I was in a coma for three days after a car accident where I hit my head. Pretty much, I was driving, then the color purple, then waking up three days later. There was nothing. Um, it's not even like sleeping because when you wake up from sleeping, you know, you were asleep. It's like blinking one second, you're doing something. And the next something totally different. I do have a vague memory of being on a table with a cute guy wiping my nose and, and it hurting really bad. And I remember saying you were super cute and that's all. I believe that was before I went into the coma after the accident. Huh. <laughs> um, so did I understand right that the he dreamed or they dreamed of purple and then yeah oh no they st- they said i was driving then the color purple and then waking up wow yeah it's almost like anesthesia or something right where yeah you're you know there's there's no time gap there's no perceived time gap you know it's just like you're in one place like you know the doctor's counting down and the next you're in a bed yeah yeah yeah, yeah. this one so you know go ahead right oh i was gonna say this one says it feels like nothing at all which is similar um, it felt like nothing. You just woke up and realized poop happened. Uh, you get told you've been injured, what caused it, what I broke, etc. And somewhere along the lines, they also tell you you've been kept in a coma. I didn't bother asking the first time around, but then, but I also remember pretty much nothing around that period in, in my time. Anyway, they told me I just forgot. Uh, what I distinctly remember is the time of waking up. It felt like a dream until your brain actually decides to take notice of what's happening around you. During the coma, I can't say I experienced anything at all, not even vivid dreams. But then again, how often do you remember vivid dreams? Mine usually disappear in under five seconds after I wake up. Time did fly by, but in the sense that time flies by as you sleep, you're aware time passed, but that's it. Hmm, Interesting. Um, Let's see. There's like four more here. Um, In some cases, you continue everyday life in your head. I was in a medically induced coma for a week and a half, courtesy of a car accident. My family was at my bedside the entire time. Whenever I would move, they would calmly say to me I had been in a bad car accident. I was okay, and I was in the hospital. In my dreams, I was going about my daily business of college classes and coffee houses. The twist would be that I was introducing myself as having been in a bad car accident, but I was okay (laughs) and in a hospital. Or, or, Or in class, I dropped a pen because my arm hurt, and the student in front of me says that, of course, my arm hurts. You were in a bad car accident. <laughs> these morphine you know, dreams, va- sorry. Uh, go, ahead, uh, go ahead, and I'll, I'll jump in. These morphine dreams varied and were many, from the surreal to the mundane. Then I had the realization that I've, if I had been in a bad car accident, that I should go to the hospital. So in my dreams, I walked to the college town's hospital, politely checking into triage, saying, hi, I've been in a bad car accident, but I'm okay, and I want to get checked out. And that's when the nurses and doctors descended on me in a life-saving uh, frenzy. After that, I opened my eyes. Wow. That makes me think of uh, the memes that go around now and then of like, if you're reading this, we've been trying to reach you. Yeah. You've been in a coma for three years. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> uh, this one says you experienced semi-lucid dreaming. I was kept in a medically induced coma for nine days, and I have vivid memories of my time in the coma. I would describe it as very intense semi-lucid dreaming where I had a measure of control, however not complete control. Stimuli from the outside world would uh, would definitely appear and worked its way into my dreams, which truly distorted my reality. Some of the dreaming was pleasurable and some of it was nightmarish. The real terrifying part was that after I regained consciousness, first off, you don't just snap out of it. It's a very slow process that took several days. When I eventually realized that I was in the Munich Hospital ICU, I didn't know what the hell was going on. The experience really made me question the nature of life and consciousness, and for a few days, I believed I had died. It was impossible to distinguish real life from the coma dream state that I had been in, which really messed with my head. That is interesting. Um, that that coming out of it and being grounded back in reality is kind of fascinating to me. So when I was doing the ketamine treatments, um, you know, you would sit there for an hour afterward, mm-hmm. and it would feel like you were there for ten minutes. <laughs> um, you know, and you would think that you're fine and you weren't, you know, they would come check on you and then they would leave and they would come back and check on you again. Right, and right. then they would tell you like, Oh yeah, you know, it's, you know, six o'clock and you're like six o'clock. I got here at three, you know, um, <laughs> uh, like and the therapy itself only lasts for like 45 minutes. So and that's you th- can imagine. Go ahead. I was going to say this the thing about time. Time is regulated by our brain. It's not like a constant really. Yeah, oh, that's a good point, sir. Right? So, I mean, what what's 10 years to someone in a coma was, you know, what, three months to everyone else. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, dream, that- dreams dreams do that, too. I mean, you dream and you can feel like, wow, you know, I've been, a, this dream's been going on for a really long time. You wake up and you're like, I fell asleep 10 minutes ago. All right. Yeah. Well, I mean, Ren, that's like, uh, you know, you had that whole uh, relationship with someone that didn't exist yeah. or, you know. And then you come back and uh, it's like, wow, okay, I spent all this time with this person and it, it didn't occur. Um, it, even like with the, the ketamine trips, it was weird because it felt like it was long and also incredibly short at the same time. Um, and it's the strongest sense I've ever had of that, where it felt like, you know, I was in there for uh, an amount of time that I couldn't even fathom. And at the same time, it felt like five minutes. Yeah. is weird. Uh, and not in a bad way. I mean, because you're at least I was completely comfortable, but uh, I'm sure I've heard of people having bad experiences. I, I don't know why that is and why that isn't, but. Uh, I think it's it just whatever. I think it's whatever in your right. shadow that's going to guide it to some degree. Yeah, which I, I take as being I've, my shadow is a Labrador retriever. <laughs> <laughs> when I was coming out the first time, the nurse walked in and uh, she asked me what I, I thought. And I was like, that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I would read about people like breaking down and crying when they came out, yeah. uh, you know, all these things. And, and when I came out, I was like, that was awesome. <laughs> Okay, so let's see. The next one here. Sometimes you only remember feelings. Uh, Fell into a coma for five days. All I remember is how I felt. I remember feeling hopeless and filled with despair at one point. I remember feeling relieved at one point and happy. I don't know what was triggering these feelings as I had them, but I remember they were very real and very strong. Um, This one says you can be trapped with a nightmarish figure. Before I entered a coma... Fell from the second story of a gym under construction and landed on my head. 
I had watched The Grudge. So the whole coma, I dreamed that I was trapped in a completely white room with the Grudge girl. She oh never, she never moved. She just stood there. But when I woke up from that coma, I refused to close my eyes for a couple of nights in fear. I, I totally understand that, <laughs> right? It, you know that kind of goes back to uh, when you have sleep paralysis, and you know this could be a lot of different things. But when you have that sense of another figure, yeah, uh, in the room, and that just makes it so much worse. Um, and, you know, that was how I figured out, I started sort of theorizing about, am I sending signals through my body to actually move it? Or am I dreaming that I'm sending signals through my body to move it was yeah. because, you know, I would get freaked out and feel like somebody was in the room with me. Uh, it, it seems like that's, uh, their experience is like a deeper version of that. Uh, but gosh, I, I feel like I would have trauma from that, to be honest. Right. The fascinating thing is the variety of these experiences is it's not just one thing. Here's what you experience right. in a coma, you know? You've got somebody just talking about feelings and somebody that saw the color. I mean. Someone who saw no yeah, nothing. And, you know. Yeah. Uh, if, if you were trying to, like, if you asked me to come up with scenarios or I asked you to come up with scenarios for what people experienced in a coma, we wouldn't come up with this variety. No, no. no. All right. Last one here. Uh, you could have vivid dreams about being imprisoned. Um, that makes sense. I remember being in a room adorned in medieval fashion. I don't remember the details, but the wall had this really weird painting. It was a medieval painting, so it wasn't romanticism or anything particularly beautiful. I rem remember thinking that too, saying that's, that's nothing from the romanticism period. That's for sure. It was very unrefined and it was scary. Anyway, I remember being in that room with the painting while in a cage. The cage was too small for me. It was like a cartoon, like I had been crammed in there. My cage was at the center of the room, though I could only look in one direction because the cage was too small for me to turn my head. At least I think that is what was preventing me from doing it. While I could only see one side of the room, I knew for sure there were people behind me, not just one. Um, every once in a while, I would hear a whisper or a faint set of footsteps. I was so scared of them. I remember wanting to cry every time I heard a footstep thinking it was coming towards me, but I couldn't. I wanted to yell, but every time I thought about it, the cage would shake. All I could do was look at the picture on the wall, and I couldn't do nor say a thing. I looked directly at the painting only once, and I remember feeling so many extreme feelings. All in that one look, it, I felt anger. It made me want to kill everything. I remember feeling anguish, as if my entire family had died in a terrible ma manner, I remember feeling happiness because everyone uh, that ever did me wrong died. I remember feeling omniscience too. Well, not complete omniscience. It was more seeing everything evil that was happening in the world. Not just bad, but evil. Every plot to murder hundreds, people being tortured in front of an audience, everything. I looked away after that one long look, although admittedly the look felt like it lasted the majority of my dream. Anyway, after I looked away, I looked at the wall, but I could still see the painting in my peripheral vision. I sometimes saw it move, too. I never glanced at it to check, terrified of what would happen if I looked at it again. At one point, I felt like I was drenched in sweat. Maybe it was the fear that caused it. Maybe it was the other way around. Either way, I was scared because I heard a deep, dark, raspy voice that said, All right, it's time. All at once, I heard people running toward me. When I realized what was happening, I struggled to break free of the cage. I was trying to push it over for some reason, thinking that it would somehow do me good. It was futile. I remember people just circling my cage, looking down at me, and I remember thinking they were tall because my eyes couldn't look up far enough to see their faces. 
Then I remember a hand as black as night with white nails putting its hand through the holes of my cage, reaching in to touch my face. Then I was opening up my eyes to see my niece, who was seven years old at the time, waving her hand in front of my face, asking me to wake up so we could go out and play. She didn't understand the concept of a coma, so when my mom took her eyes off of my niece to speak with a nurse, my niece thought it was a good idea to try and see if she could work wake me up. Turns out it was very effective. <laughs> hey, you just got to try it the right way sometimes. Yeah. Uh, you know, so that made me think of something, and I don't know if this, uh, it, it would be interesting to see if anybody ever documented something like this, but... I wonder how susceptible you are to wayward entities when you're in a coma like that. And, uh, you know, cause I, we've talked about things that might feed on fear and anxiety and, and what have you, like if you become a, uh, a beacon for that, because that sounds like a horrifying experience. Yeah. Yeah. And of course that may be a prison of your own making too. Um, you know, well, just whatever's in your head, but yeah. yeah. Like the grudge thing sounds like it was safe, but I mean, you know, maybe something picked up on that and emulated it. Right, right. I mean, I guess uh, it depends on your, you know, your own personal metaphysics, but I certainly think that there are things that, that hang around and would eagerly prey on people that are in that state. I mean, there is a story that I unfortunately, I told Josh that I would write down for him to put in his book, but just like never did because I was all over the place during COVID. But like, um, I had an out-of-body experience uh, last year, it was the year before last, but um the exp- I, like I had sleep paralysis, and during the sleep paralysis, I start to slightly go out of body, and then as I'm out of body, I feel like something grabbing my ankles and like just like jerks me towards the door to my bedroom, mm. and is like dragging me out the door, and I look behind me to see what is like dragging me, and it was you know like a group of little grays, big mm. black eyes, gray skin, thin. They were just you know pulling me along. And I just like, you know, I just snapped back to my body. Like right. I didn't allow it to happen. But yeah. uh, I mean, since having experiences like that and having out of body experiences and stuff, I, I can't look at like alien abduction stuff the same anymore. You know, it, it, and I, I think the clues were always there, especially like in, in uh, I think the second book, Whitley Struber wrote about Trans- this transformation. Uh, transformation. Yeah. And he talks a lot in that about these experiences where he is effectively having an out-of-body experience when he's encountering the, the visitors or whatever. Yes. And, you know, I, I think that there, there are definitely things that hang around. Um, you know, I, I think I told you the story, too, on, on this show about the uh, little octopus thing that grabbed onto my back when I was out of body one time. Oh, yeah. Is this the thing you ate? Yeah, the thing I ate. <laughs> well, let's, let's Look, hang on, though. Let's take Uh-oh. a quick break, and we'll be right back. All right. Going to take a moment here to uh, give you a recommendation. Hopefully people like this segment. Um, So my recommendation is a fictional podcast, something I enjoyed greatly. It's called Among the Stars and Bones. It's from Ungodly Hour Productions, and it's this futuristic uh, drama where they are exploring an ancient settlement of of a race that has passed away long before humans went out to the stars and trying to find more out about them. And it's, it's a very, very good show. And I think, yeah, there's only one season. I think they're working on a second. I really hope they're working on a second. It was, uh, it's excellent. It's only 10 episodes. So if you like kind of dark sci-fi, that's my recommendation for you this week. All right. If you want to contact the show, contact at where did the road go.com. 
You can uh, send us your stories for the next listener stories show at stories at where did the road go dot com. Uh, you can um, mail me stuff at PO Box four 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 Ovid New York one four five two one. And of course, everything, all our social media, and everything can be found at where did the road go dot com. Links to become a patron, donate uh, all the shows all the way back to the beginning, and more coming. All right, uh, we are here on Where Did the Road Go with Ren Collier and Super Inframan, sometimes known as Saxon. And Ren, tell us about the thing that uh, you had on your back during a sleep paralysis. <laughs> All right, well, if people haven't already heard the story, um, basically I was uh, I was asleep in my apartment, uh, or going to sleep. I was like, you know, in the bed trying to fall asleep, laying on my side. Um, and I start to hear like a buzzing or like, you know, like a rushing wind coming in. It's usually like a precursor to sleep paralysis for me. And I feel someone get into bed with me and I was all alone in my apartment at the time. Mm. Um, and I was paralyzed, you know, like I couldn't move, but I was on my side and they like slid in behind me and started spooning with me. And, you know, every cell of my body wanted to just jump up and get, get away. And I hear something whisper in my ear, like, uh, don't leave me. Stay with me. Just just go back to sleep. And that was like <laughs> that caused me to leap all the way out of my body. Right. I thought I stood up, you know, physically, but like I was I was out of body, and I didn't realize this until sort of the experience got weirder. But you know, I, I perceive that I stand up, and I feel something jump on my back, and like is like riding me around the room, and I can't see it, and like I can't. I'm like trying to pull it off of me. I'm, you know, struggling, all like stumbling around, and I try to like invoke the name of Christ to get this thing off of me. You know, like you know, by Christ's name, I compel you to get it off me or whatever. Didn't do anything. Um, it wasn't until I had this flash of inspiration that I should say, like, in my name, I abjure you. And Ooh, I like, like that. When I said that, like, I heard like a thousand other voices saying it with me all at the same time, and I was able to peel this thing off my back and throw it onto the bed. And I look at it and it's just like this little black octopus, uh, just this little black blob, you know, with like little tentacles that are like wriggling around. And I feel myself get super, super angry. Like I feel myself like transforming. I'm, I'm like growing like these huge jaws and I'm looking at my hands as they like, you know, thriller style, like turn into big claws and stuff like and hairy. And like I, I basically just become a werewolf. <laughs> I go over to this thing and I pick it up and I just like open my mouth and just like shove it down my throat. And I like it had like the consistency of like sand. It was like very gritty tasting. It had like it was like eating sand. It was actually like eating um, like a little like those bean bags that have like sand inside them or something. And afterwards, I was like, okay, well, I guess that was that. And I just tried a normal out of body experience. Like I went floor floor around my neighborhood or whatever. Um, but I was, uh, that experience was interesting because I, it made me remember something that I, that happened to me when I was a kid that I thought was a dream, but maybe wasn't, um, where, you know, I used to be terrified of being abducted by aliens. I watched too much unsolved mysteries and sightings and X-Files <laughs> and stuff and had myself totally convinced, uh, that I was being abducted by grace. It didn't help that one time uh, a friend spent the night at my house and the next morning I, he says that in the middle of the night he woke up and I was sitting on the bed, like he was sleeping on the floor and I, I was sitting up straight in bed and there was a grace sitting next to me in bed. Oh God. And I looked down at him and said, it's okay, Nick, just go back to sleep. <laughs> and then he went back to sleep. Wow. Uh, 
Now, of course, I don't know if this is true or not. This kid also was into the same stuff I was. It could have been something he was just messing with me. Making this yeah. I have no idea. Um, but it was a thing that I thought about all the time when I was a kid. And I used to, you know, be terrified of like, you know, uh, like that I would, I would wake up in the middle of the night and see something in the room with me or like something standing next to my bed. But, um, I we, me and my little brother used to sleep in the same room. We had like bunk beds and we would sort of swap off. Sometimes he would be in the bottom bunk. Sometimes I'd be in the top. Um, so I was in the top bunk that evening and I woke up or I had a dream that I woke up and he was crying and I looked over the bed and there was a, like a gray alien standing next to him, like talking to him, like it was moving its mouth. And he was like, like terrified and like crying. And I felt myself turn into this little animal, like with claws and fur and teeth. And I jumped off the bed onto this thing and started just like slashing at its face and like cutting it up. And I grabbed on to one of its eyes and like peeled its eye off. Oh, interesting. Um, and it, like you know it's like screaming it's like horrible high-pitched scream and i remember like inside of its head there were like stars oh wow lines and then i you know i don't remember anything like i wake up or whatever and it wasn't until the past couple years when i was like reading about werewolf lore that i like so many werewolf stories um talk about you know, the, the, the lycanthrope not actually like physically turning into a werewolf, but rather going to sleep. And then like they have like sort of like a spirit dream form that goes out and that's, the, you know, the werewolf or whatever. It's, you know, while they're asleep physically at home, their sort of spirit form is out doing the werewolf stuff. Right. And it made me cool. wonder, like, well, am I lycanthrope? Like, do I have a <laughs> werewolf? or whatever maybe or is it just a form that like i take as a kid you know i took as a kid and then i take now in, in dreams when i feel threatened you know ah interesting i like that a lot though it's cool to have that as a um yeah i don't know almost like a, a safety mechanism or yeah and it, like it could just be you know just because maybe i just think werewolves are cool and it's like you know werewolves are powerful and strong and if i'm a yeah. werewolf i can prove myself or whatever but I, I do remember one time I was um, pretty uh, pretty intoxicated by some gray market Chinese research chemicals uh, with some <laughs> friends, and I was sitting on top of a roof watching the sun come up, and I just had this thought out of the blue in my head that, like, I'm a werewolf. <laughs> like, I don't know. This was, like, before any of these, you know, before the, the, the experience with the octopus thing, and this was well after the experience I had as a kid that I had basically forgotten by that point. So I don't know. Maybe. Maybe I'm a werewolf. Who knows? <laughs> I, I do remember reading uh, in, I think it was in a Kenneth Grant book. I, I can't remember if it's in Hecate's Fountain, maybe. Or maybe it's, uh, no, it's a uh, gateways out of time or something like that. Um, or outer gateways or whatever. I'm probably getting the name horribly wrong. Yeah, but I can't it, remember what it is. <laughs> it's something like that. It's some yeah. kind of granny. But in it, he's talking about Michael Burdio's like mysteries of the werewolf. And he quotes Michael Burdio saying uh, something about how in order for the magician to interact with, you know, uh, cliffotic entities from, you know, trans attorney and Yogoth that the magician must become a werewolf. Like it must become an, a beast basically to do battle with these entities. Huh? It's just outer and gateways, outer gateways. Yeah. Yeah. So is, is, I think it's an outer gateways that he talks about this, but that like being the magician, being able to, to sort of be initiated into the mysteries of lycanthropy is, is like the key to doing battle with these sort of negative entities. 
So uh, one thing I want to get in here real quick, we got maybe 10 minutes left here. Um, John Shooter had sent me this uh, episode from a BBC show called Room 5. And um, it, it this guy has, uh, let's see. Did either of you listen to this? I know I posted it to the Slack. Uh, I haven't had a chance oh, to. Okay. So basically, uh, this guy has what starts out as sleep paralysis, and then he has an experience where he's watching TV, and it kind of goes into the Oz effect, and he sees a shadow, like the room changes, and he sees a shadow walk through the kitchen uh, door, and he realizes it's like his dead mother and stuff like this. And then, I'm, like, by that time, I'm looking at, I'm listening to this going, he has narcolepsy. You know, and then the next one, he's like riding his bike and he stops somewhere. And the next thing he remembers, his grandmother's beeping her horn at him. And he's, it's like three hours later. And he's uh. like, what's happening? You know, and so like, I'm going, yeah, he's freaking has narcolepsy. So like, no one could figure out what was wrong with him initially. And finally, they took him to like a sleep study place and they're like, oh, you have narcolepsy. And I'm thinking, again, this is that blurry line between reality and not reality. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like, okay, just because, you know, yeah, all right. So it definitely sounded dreamlike to me, but that doesn't mean there's not actually something there. What I liked about it is they were talking to a sleep uh, specialist and they, they, were, they were getting into how, how important sleep is and all the stuff and how dreams are not junk. They're, they're your brain like doing creative stuff and, and putting pieces together. And I'm thinking- Okay, this is a giant leap from the last time I heard a scientist talk about dreams where they were like, dreams are not important. <laughs> you know, here you have these sleep studies where they're going, oh, no, dreams are incredibly important. They're, your, they're how your brain processes stuff, how it works with memory, how it does all this other stuff. And I'm going, this is cool. This is, this is, they're on the right track here. I don't think they've quite got the depth of it, but at least they're, they're no longer just dismissing them as – as like, you know, pointless hallucinations of things that happen during the day. You know, so when I, I was talking to uh, the uh, psychiatrist I did the ketamine stuff with, she was talking a lot about different doctors now sort of either doing sleep studies and embracing that. And of course, you know, this would be something she would be plugged into. So it, it's hard to say if this is a mainstream thing or not, but uh, I was really surprised that they were even kind of going that route and taking these things seriously. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and there's a lot of therapists now that, you know, they'll, they'll deal with like psychoglobin and all this other stuff too. And want to know what, what you see, you know, yeah, <laughs> and, and decipher that with you or even be present and uh, sort of act as a, a guide through the experience uh, of the hallucinogen or, or the psychedelic or whatever you want to call it. Um, and it seems very new, but when you start looking at it too, even the, the, the doctors that are working on this sound like shamans. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's wild. Cause it's like, don't know where this came from, but I'm really glad it's there. Uh, hopefully it continues. Yeah, absolutely. And that, and if anyone wants to hear that episode, it was room five series two, episode six, uh, on BBC sounds. But uh, yeah, it was it, the 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 change that has happened on how how they deal with this stuff is fantastic, and I hope it keeps going that way. Um, yeah. I, ironically, I started just listening to this podcast, this fiction podcast called uh, Tomorrow's Monsters, and it's one of the one of the more big budget ones. I think iHeartRadio or saying produce it. It's not bad. It's actually pretty interesting. But the initial premise is they're trying to create a drug to make it so people don't have to sleep anymore. Oh wow. 
And I'm thinking, wow, that sounds horrible. I mean, granted, there are definitely times where I'm like, God, I wish I didn't have to sleep so I could get the rest of this stuff done. But like, can you imagine like never sleeping? Like if you, if you could health, like in, in this case, it has bad detrimental effects, but like right. imagine you could keep your body going without needing to sleep. I think that would be horrible. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, we, we were talking about this in the slack. Uh, my wife has never taken a nap <laughs> and I'm just like, naps are nice. Sleep is pretty cool. <laughs> Uh, I mean, that's what a lot of people um, don't even really understand completely about sleep. Like sleep is so vital to your physical function. Like literally you could have a correct, you know, you could be like really paying close attention to your diet, getting exercise, like all this stuff. It doesn't matter. Like sleep is like foundational. If you're not getting enough sleep, none of that other stuff matters. Like it is like the way it regulates your hormones like everything about sleep is so important and people get far less sleep than they should. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. When I was, I guess I was about 23. Uh, I was really lucky. I got to go back and forth to Europe quite a bit, uh, sort of back to back. And I, I just was not sleeping mm-hmm. and my short term memory just went to crap. Like, I mean, it was terrible. And, well, uh, well yeah, cause sleep, the- sleep is part of how your, your brain stores memories. Yeah, it, it, you know, I, I'm I'm 23. I just think that I can just keep going. Yeah. And uh, my mom made me go to the doctor, and uh, it was interesting. The doctor was really cool, and he was just our like our general care pr- practitioner back home. But he started bringing up like all of these Russian studies because the Russians didn't mind <laughs> torturing people essentially <laughs> to keep them awake. Right. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it was it was fascinating stuff. But uh, ultimately, he made me stay in bed for three days. Uh, you know, he was talking about how people would die. They would, you know, anytime they would start to show signs of being asleep, they would get shocked and mm. they would use a, a electrolysis to keep them constantly stimulated where they wouldn't sleep just to see what would happen. Yeah. It's like, that sounds horrible. <laughs> and then people would literally <laughs> die from it after a while. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sleep, sleep and dreams are important. That's the other thing. That's what I liked about this podcast is they were going into the importance of dreaming. You know, it's like, okay, good, because it is important. Even if you don't remember them, they're still there. You know, I I know a number of people who will tell me they don't dream, and I'm like, no, you just don't remember your dreams. Exactly. I mean, isn't there some evidence, though, that, like, habitual THC use interferes with dreaming? Not sure. I have no idea. Like, I mean, it may just be anecdotal that I've heard people who, you know, are heavy users of cannabis or whatever uh tend not to at least not nope, we not lost recall. oh not recall um yeah i mean maybe it has i mean we we know smoking a lot of pot has an effect on your memory so not recalling dreams if you smoke a lot of pot seems like it fits yeah yeah you know my wife doesn't remember her dreams at all um uh, and when she does i think she thinks she'll say she's probably remembered two dreams in her life and they've been in black and white huh. uh but you know, she is a, a force of nature. I mean, she'll sleep three or four hours a night and be completely fine. Right. And uh, some people, that's all they need. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if I did that, I would die. <laughs> Just once. <laughs> I mean, I used to, you know, back back when I started doing my zine and stuff, you know, I'm working and I'm going to concerts and I'm, I'm working on this zine and I was getting maybe a nap here and there. Yeah. And I started taking a lot of caffeine pills to keep myself awake so I could work and stuff. And, uh, 
yeah, it was it was not good. Uh, it started giving me heart palpitations and stuff. Yeah, and because I mean, you you don't give your body the chance to recover. Yeah, and I, I've even heard some theories floating around these days that one of the uh, processes of dreams is basically like emptying your RAM space. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, for lack of a better way of putting it, like it, it's clearing up all the clutter uh, for the next day. It's the subconscious dump. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so if you're not giving it the chance to do that, then, you know, you, you just got all this junk in the way of everything that you're trying to do or process, I should say. All right. Well, we're just about out of time. Uh, Ren, where can people find you? Yeah. So, uh, you can find me on social media, um, and also at my blog at liminalroom.com, which includes some links to my discord and other places where you can contact me. What's your Twitter handle? Uh, it's at LiminalBird. Okay. Your name is much longer on there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of silly. <laughs> and a super inframan? Uh, you can find me on Instagram. I just started a, a Mastodon account. Uh, there's a couple of us on there. Taylor Bell's on there. Um, AP Strange and all of us are kind of giving it a shot, sticking our toes in the water. But those are the only two places I'm online right now besides uh, our Discord. All right. Well, I thank you both. Thank you, Sarai. Thanks, everyone. I should have talked about this in the show, by the way. You know, when I, I listen to certain podcasts and things, like I'll have those dreams that are led by the story of the podcast. Yeah. But if I fall asleep listening to uh, your show, I end up like you and I and Chris are at an outdoor, like kind of relaxed rock festival or metal show hanging out. <laughs> like it, it's it's never anything like bizarre or weird. It's just like. We're hanging out, just like talking about whatever. <laughs> I had. But I, go ahead. No, what were you gonna say? Oh, I was gonna say I've probably had that dream like five times. <laughs> That's awesome. I'd like to take a moment here to thank all of my patreons because without you, this show would not be what it is. And I want to give a special shout out to those of you pledging ten dollars or more: Allison Cook, Super Inframan, Thirty Six Dingo, Chuck Shutters, Leanne Cherry. CJ, Tim, Andrew Nichols, Matthew Sproul, Christine, a blue second gen MR2 drifting around a Japanese mountain, Patricia Gaiaquinta, Alex Whitcomb, American Rambler, Andrew Maines, Ann Witowski, Barbara Fisher, Beverly Williamson, Big Boy Lemina, Charles Davis, Charles in Florida, Land of the Crazy and Communicable, Christopher Ernst, Craig Cicernos, Illuminati, Craig Parmenter, Diane B., MTK, Eric Todd, Jay, James Lattimore, James Lindsay, Jim Pyre, John Bracken, Carla Mahoney, Kevin, Kevin Shrek, Cool Kitty, Kristen L., Laser Printer Jam, Seed Person 1, Lauren McLean, Linz Jackson K., Luke Osborne, MJ Armstrong, Jim and Sophie, Mark Brady, Matt in Delaware, Oli Andre Olar, Patricia W., Paul Jeffries, Philosopher of Mirrors, Ray Benedetto, Riker and Stark, Ron Dupre, Sam Sharon, Stacy Sherwood, Tactical Therapist, Taylor Bell, Thunderboy, Tyler Glimstead, Veroche K, Vincent Trewell, Walker, Will Gebhard, Will Powell, Ren Collier, Stephen D, Amber Hall, and Craig Sagastumi. I thank all of you for the incredible support. I want to welcome my new patrons this week, Adam Winchell, Edward Cook, and Seed Person One. There is a Patreon segment to go along with the show. 
but it's mostly us talking about TV shows and movies. So I'm going to put that up later in the week. Also, patrons are able to watch an early version of the documentary Chris is making on Where Did, Where Did the Road Go and myself. Uh, the Strange Realities cut of that has been made available to Patreons. If you want to become a patron, it's only $3 a month. It helps us greatly, and you get lots of extra content all month long. All right, one more comedy Christmas song to end off this show. I started with Devo Spice, and then I did some Warm Quartet, and now we're going to do some Devo Spice again. Uh, both of these guys actually performed on the last exit for the Lost in the last month or so. Um, ooh, maybe back in October? No, maybe November. I think it was November. And um, yeah, if you like it, go check them out. Uh, DevoSpice.com. He has some really funny songs. And this one is, uh, he used to be called Sudden Death early on. And uh, this is one of those songs from his Sudden Death days. Eventually, he changed the name because it didn't, really didn't fit a comedy rap band. So he uh, he just used the Devo Spice name. And this is called The Christmas Season. And I hope everyone out there has a good holiday. And I will see you next time. Christmas is coming now. Christmas is coming. Christmas is coming now. Christmas is coming. Christmas is coming now. 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 It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas already with the animated reindeer in the top at wearing Yetis. Now I can be as festive as the next guy, but I still have firecrackers from the 4th of July. Come on, do I really need six months to shop? Might as well be Christmas nonstop. Pretty soon they'll be hanging up lights all over town, and it was just last week I finally took mine down. Please, can I get a break for my sake? All I'm asking for is one month without a fruitcake. Give me some time to recover from another year of drunken relatives and a pissed-off little brother. Singing that stupid Jingle Bell song in the middle of July somehow seems wrong. I still got five months to go, and I'm already sick of the ho-ho-ho. It's Christmas time again. Let's see what's on TV. It's Christmas time again. Well, we got Rudolph, Frosty. It's Christmas time again. Rudolph versus Frosty. It's Christmas time again. A CSI Christmas. The Christmas season causes great frustration. Getting longer and harder like a Viagra patient. I just need a vacation from the holiday cheer. And I don't think that I can take it for the rest of the year. And nobody is cheerful anyway It's always give me the damn toys and get the fuck out my way I can deal with that on December 23rd But when it starts up in March, that's a little absurd And then the charities, there's way too many Begging me for money like I have any And there's some idiot flapping his mouth like a flapjack With his peace on earth and all that crap I'd settle for peace in the kitchen But that would mean my relatives would have to quit their bitching And since I doubt that'll ever come about It's Merry Christmas past the gravy and I try to tune them out it's Christmas time again. All right, let's see what Santa brought for me. It's Christmas time again. Huh, I already have one of these. It's Christmas time again. Hey, wait a minute. This is mine. It's Christmas time again. I've been looking for this. My Christmas usually consists of this. Fighting back the urge to shop with my fist. Sending out cards to people I never see. And trying to keep the dog from peeing on the tree. And then the whole family has to search for direction so we can find our way to church. I still find it ironic and a little bit odd that my kids believe in Santa Claus but not in God. But I ain't taking my kids cause it's too weird to see some child molester in a fake beard. I don't care if they kick and scream, I ain't doing anything till after Halloween. I can only buy damaged and discount due to the amount in my bank account. But I have no motivation to shop when I know I'm still paying off gifts from three Christmases ago. It's Christmas time again And again and again and again
and again. It's Christmas time again. And again, and again, and again, and again. It's Christmas time again. And again, and again, and again, and again. It's Christmas time again. What do you mean again? More like still. have been listening to where did the road go this show is made possible in part from our patreons and we thank you and everyone listening for helping us continue this exploration of the strange you can always find everything where did the road go related at www.wheredidtheroadgo.com and thank you so much for your support <laughs>